0: Ciao, you're listening to Ed Up Insights, where you'll get my take on higher education. I'm Bill Papicello, former president of University of Phoenix and Higher Ed Vagabond. So let's get started. Well, you know, podcastees, at my age, I know a lot about indigestion. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. So stay with me here. I'll, I'll show relevance eventually. But let's get my perspective clear. I'm old. I grew up without computers, or mobile phones, or the internet. I got information the old fashioned way. I had to go and search for it. We didn't have Google and chat GPT. We had this ponderous thing called an encyclopedia. It consisted of many volumes of books that contained basic information on all kinds of topics. One of these encyclopedias, my favorite, was called the Book of Knowledge. And if I wanted to dig deeper into any of the topics there, I had to make my way to a big building full of books and go through the card catalog. Google that if you don't know what it means to find books and journal articles with more information. I took a notebook and a pencil with me, more paper there, and made notes because there weren't any Xerox machines. And then I returned home and collated everything into a report, an essay, or whatever. Now, I sit comfortably at my computer and type in search terms, and voila! I have pretty much as much information as I want on a topic. Then I can ask ChatGPT to draft an essay or a report outline. There's lots of data and information organized for my personal edification. But then, as now, one thing was true. None of this is knowledge. Knowledge comes from acquiring and processing information through observation and personal experience. Knowledge goes beyond mere data or information. It involves the ability to interpret analyze, and apply information in meaningful ways. Data are not knowledge. Data provide information, but information is not knowledge. Knowledge is a product, not an activity. It is passive, and you're not smart unless you know how to use knowledge. Otherwise, you're just a vessel. Nice to look at maybe, but not particularly useful. So what's my point? Yes, there is one here, and we are going to get to indigestion. We hear a lot today about higher education institutions making data-driven decisions. Now, there's an endless number of studies, surveys, reports, and opinion pieces about what all this data tells us. It tells us, among other things, that the basic student profiles have changed, that the higher education business model is broken, and that higher ed needs to connect better with the workforce. So what's the problem, you ask? Just this. The same studies have been replicated since at least the 1980s. The methods are the same. The results are the same. The data is the same. Continuing education departments study continuing education. Marketing departments study marketing and so on. The same data are recycled by the same sources on a regular basis. And guess what? The results are the same. Uh, do I sound repetitive? Well, so are the studies. And the studies, even from reputable organizations like the Lumina Foundation, produce these reports. One titled a few years ago, Today's Reality, that concluded that we must do more for those students whom we used to call non-traditional. The study points out that today's students are older, often work, have family obligations, and are frequently students of color. Wait a minute. This was true for yesterday's students too, and the students before that, and for decades earlier. This report also suggests ways to address the issues attendant to today's learner and the proposed solution are as old as the demographic data. More disappointing, however, is the fact that higher education insiders, read presidents, take studies such as the Lumina Report as one departure point for a discussion, read redundant rehash, of issues such as the value of the credit hour system and the need for flexible formats for students. Now. We've known that adult learners are different from 18-year-olds since at least 1976 when Dr. John Sperling gave life to University of Phoenix. Phoenix and other institutions have spent decades developing systems to serve these non-traditional students. Uh, Was anybody watching? You know, still more disappointing is that the education trades continue to publish all of this as if it were somehow new information. A simple Google search would have shown otherwise. All of this goes to point to the fact that American higher education needs to stop talking and start doing. The same goes for those who report on it. So what's the rub? Easy. Higher education has plenty of data, information, and even some knowledge. But as I said, knowledge is passive. You know, without a plan, knowledge is just, well, knowledge. I mean, if I know how to install a water heater, and I don't, that's knowledge. But that knowledge is useless if I don't put it into action by actually replacing my broken one. So yeah, I may be smug in my understanding of the situation about replacing water heaters, but I'm still taking cold showers. Now, all of this points to the digestive issue in the higher education community. See, you knew I'd get there eventually. To put it inelegantly, because that's what I do, higher education continues to chew its cud. For some reason, it keeps ingesting the same data and regurgitating it repeatedly. Now, you've heard of analysis paralysis. Well, I call this situation of, of regurgitation without any evacuation action, information constipation, you like that? What that means is that higher ed has the data and some knowledge, but just can't quite to get any action out of it. Symptoms of constipation include bloating, pain, and feeling like something needs to be eliminated. Sound familiar? Decades of studies keep bringing us back to the same place with very little to show for it. But constipation itself is a symptom of some larger disease. And in the case of higher education, that disease is inertia and obliviousness. It's too often assumed that the cud higher ed is chewing is somehow going to taste different and we'll have different results if it's chewed enough times, and that eventually something will pass. But you know, without a plan, the only thing that's passing is confidence in higher education, both internally and externally. All right, let's take another perspective here, one that's a little less graphic. You know, it's often said that knowledge is power. So let's talk a little philosophy uh, and, and consider uh, knowledge to be a platonic ideal of sorts Now a platonic ideal of course refers to a concept that is perfect and unchanging and is an archetype beyond the physical realm you know platonic ideals are passive and immutable the idea of knowledge as a platonic ideal is not really a mainstream viewpoint per se but it remains an interesting concept to explore in graduate seminars and uh, philosophical discussions about the nature of reality and the foundations of knowledge, and in lots of journal articles. Pragmatism, on the other hand, is grounded in experience. It emphasizes the practical consequences of ideas, beliefs, and actions as the criteria for determining their truth and their value. Pragmatism rejects absolute or fixed principles, in favor of focusing on the real world implications and practical outcomes of beliefs and actions. So applying this to the current situation, the translation is simple. Knowledge is only power if you can put it to work. Theory is good for understanding things, but action is required to see what works. Now, there are models for this in higher education, but they are frequently dismissed as anathema to the platonic model of what higher education is or should be. But of course, if you're paying attention, you know that the theory these days is rather tattered. So what is the pragmatic perspective? Now don't change the channel, you know where I'm headed back to the basic business model that fuels the engine of American society, except for higher education. Because it's true, for all of their shortcomings, the for-profit sector, or what's left of it, uh, is a model. I didn't say it was a perfect model, but it's a model for taking knowledge and putting it into action. In the 1970s, John Sperling gathered information about what were eventually going to be called non-traditional students. And he gained a lot of knowledge about them. He knew then what higher uh, higher education keeps regurgitating, even until today. But he took that knowledge and built a working model around it and implemented that model. He had some success too. Many followed his example. Few have survived but those who do are the embodiment of putting knowledge and theory into reality. We find evolving models of higher education moving increasingly in this same direction now, with OPMs and various kinds of mergers and acquisitions that I've talked about in other episodes. The progress is still dyspeptic and uncomfortable, but, It is undeniable. There is definitely some rumbling in the bowels of higher education, but there isn't yet enough movement to make a difference. So analysis paralysis has been replaced by information constipation. Higher education has consumed so much information that it has created blockages that it is largely unable to process. There is an understanding of the issue, but indigestion and heartburn are still the role. More movement is needed. And once there is, the jam will break loose. Now, there's a lot of waste here, and there's bound to be something useful in all that crap but we won't know until we can rummage through it. So there you have it. I promise I'll try to avoid further gastric metaphors in the next exciting episode, ciao.